Welcome to this APTA podcast. I'm Michelle Vanderhoff. In June 2020, the American Physical Therapy Association House of Delegates issued a position statement, Support of Emergency Physical Therapist Practice. The position states that emergency physical therapist practice includes patient and situation management, coordination of care among multiple providers, referral management, and patient disposition recommendations. Despite physical therapists' knowledge about symptoms and conditions affecting many patients presenting for emergency care, they have not traditionally been considered by administrators to be essential to staffing emergency departments and centers. That view may be changing. Today, we'll be talking with APTA members Rebecca Griffith, Carlene Chagodka, and Lisa Tenbarge about the evolving role of the PT in the emergency department and what that may look like going forward. Rebecca Griffith, PTDPT, is a board-certified clinical specialist in neurologic physical therapy who specializes in emergency and intensive care at University of Colorado Hospital. She also serves as clinical instructor within the University of Colorado School of Medicine. Rebecca serves as chief delegate for APTA Colorado. Carlene Jagodka, PTDPT, is a board-certified clinical specialist in orthopedic physical therapy and is lead emergency physical therapist at Carondelet Health Network in Tucson, Arizona. Carlene is a fellow of the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Physical Therapy, chair of the Academy of Acute Care Physical Therapy Focus Group, a clinician expert for the Emergency Medicine Workgroup, and founder of the Emergency PT Annual Conference. Lisa Tenbarge, PT-DPT, is lead emergency department physical therapist and clinical facilitator at Northern Arizona Healthcare in Flagstaff, Arizona. Lisa established the Emergency Department Physical Therapy Program there in 2004. Thank you all for being here. Glad to be here. Yes, thank you for having us. To start off, Lisa, how long have PTs been part of emergency departments and are these programs growing in number? So the original program that I'm aware of uh, began in Tucson um, in around the 1998 mark where APT actually did a cover story on the uh, flagship program in Tucson um, at Carondelet where Carlene worked for many years. Um, so the, um, in addition to the, to the beginnings uh, of emergency department practice, the, uh, there are many programs throughout the state. I think at last count, we had um, somewhere around 60 to 70 programs that we know of. There are a lot of programs that exist across the country that probably just are not part of the, the networking that's been established, but um, it is a growing practice. It is, I think people are always surprised at how long it's been around and, and people still don't know about that practice, especially within our profession that um, when I, sometimes when I talk about it in professional settings, people are like, emergency, what do, what do physical therapists do in the emergency department? So I'm still surprised at uh, how frequently people are unaware of it, but it is a growing practice. We've seen, especially in the last few years, more concentrated effort at uh, both CSM for programming that have specific tracks uh, talking about emergency department practice. And we've had two now conferences, uh, national conferences, where has have been all focused on emergency department practice. Thank you. Rebecca, what are the biggest benefits of emergency department physical therapists for an institution and for patients? 
Well, I think that's one of my favorite things to talk about. <laughs> Physical therapy in the emergency department, as one of our physicians says, really allows for us to provide more patient-centered care than they're sometimes able to because of the demands that they have on their time. And I think it's truly a matter of getting the right provider for the right patient. So when you're able to get a physical therapist directly to say a patient with acute low back pain or a patient who's been debilitated by vertigo, we can really make immediate impacts. And I think we all know that the earlier access to care we have for physical therapy, often the benefits um, include earlier recovery, empowerment of the patient's plan of care, and a clear understanding of of what's happening with their body. So we have patients who come in in acute distress and then are able to leave with a solid plan. Some of those patients may need to be triaged to acute rehab facilities, to subacute rehab facilities. Sometimes they're referred on to outpatient physical therapy, but we're able to meet them where they are and give them the most appropriate resources that they might need in that moment. And we also have the luxury of spending as much time as we need to with a particular patient if that's what's going to help them in this particular instance. And that is not often something that you see in the emergency setting. And luckily we are able to do that. So I think that makes one of the biggest impacts on our patient satisfaction. So I'd say that just, you know, and Lisa can speak to this too, that um, over the years there has been becoming much more pressure in terms of spending, you know, whatever time we need with the patient and um, just looking at length of stay, um, that's been, pretty big barrier to, um, to continuing practice down there because, you know, some are saying we're spending too much time. And of course, to us, we know how much time we need to get whatever objective done, you know, and oftentimes they think that we are trying to, you know, heal and solve every single problem, but it's more just to really come to what does it, what disposition do they need? You know, where can this care continue? Not necessarily to fix, you know, the entire, you know, if they have vertigo, it's more get them stable enough that, you know, if they need continued outpatient treatment, then, you know, we have a place that they can go, or if they're bad enough that they need to come into the hospital. Um, but that, that would be the, the one thing that I've noticed over the years that administration, now that we have been present, um, has been paying very close attention to. So, and I'm curious what Lisa would have to say in response to that as well. I think one of the things that uh, sometimes gets overlooked is how much time we spend educating the patient there. When a patient has an experience with physical therapy in the emergency department, I think they have a much clearer understanding of what their musculoskeletal problem actually is and what kind of prognosis they're looking at for down the line, return to work. And I think because of the increased understanding, I think patients are less likely to return to the ED for the same problem. Um, and so I, I think the education piece frequently gets overlooked. And I think that's a, that's a really critical, important part of what we do down there. I, I think that, you know, we look at things and I'll uh, give you an example. Um, uh, one of the physicians one time I had seen a patient that uh, it just on the tracking board said knee pain. And I went and spoke with him about it. And he had given the patient a diagnosis of just internal knee derangement um, where uh, have once physical therapy was involved and we evaluated uh, the patient, it was actually, you know, we could grade an MCL sprain and uh, potential meniscal involvement based on the exam that we did, which could give them a much better predictive outcome for uh, return to work, return to sport, 
um, than what they were going to get uh, by an emergency physician simply because of the area of expertise that we possess. So I think the, the level of education has a, has a strong um, uh, positive influence on patient outcomes in that setting. Just to piggyback on what you said about patients bouncing back, I know the data in our program indicates that if you see a physical therapist for any reason, you're 10% less likely to come back for any reason, but you're 50% less likely to come back for the same reason. And we've also noted that our patients are much more likely to attend a follow-up physical therapy session if they were seen by a physical therapist in the emergency department. So I think that goes to show that those like downstream referrals are also more successful and that buy-in to follow-up care is more successful. And emergency departments are definitely evaluated based on their level of recidivism and bounce back rate. So if we can truly reduce the bounce back rate for 50% for patients who are being seen by a physical therapist for appropriate complaints, that makes a huge huge difference, even if it takes a while, even if it takes some time. So if our goal is to get the patient out of the emergency department and to the right place, if we are able to do that, even if it might sometimes take less time, sometimes it takes a little bit more time, the outcomes are going to be better overall. And I think that's what we need to be stressing both to our profession and to our administrations. And with that too, also earlier in the process, so, you know, just again, kind of going along the same theme that not waiting until all these imaging, you know, studies are done and all, you know, things that, that we know are excessive, seeing patients, you know, really somewhere shortly after triage or when they're checking in and us paying attention to what kind of problems are coming in and inserting ourselves then helps expedite that process that they're sensitive to in terms of length of stay and, and addressing, you know, still being able to see all of the patients that really we can to keep them from coming back. Lisa, can you describe what the clinical workflow looks like for PTs or students who haven't worked in that environment? For example, how do patients end up seeing a PT versus a physician? So I'll give you an example just from the uh, program in Flagstaff and the process, which I think is pretty standard across the board right now because of the way EDs work and EMTALA guidelines requiring that they're seen by a provider. It doesn't necessarily have to be an MD, but but they, they are typically seen by another provider before they are referred for physical therapy. So um, a patient comes into triage, is triaged by either a nurse or a, a secondary level provider. And uh, once they're deemed to have a musculoskeletal problem or a problem that's appropriate for physical therapy to see, the, the consult for them could be put in as, as soon as while they're in triage. Um, and we can get, we are involved in that case right away. So the typical process is that we would come in, do uh, talk to the providers ahead of time, do a chart review, go in, see the patient, provide um, a clinical examination and uh, any appropriate treatment. Um, and then uh, once that was completed, go back and have a conversation with whoever were, were the important stakeholders, the physicians, the nurses, the care coordinators, anybody else that's appropriate to, um, uh, to give them both the, our clinical assessment, uh, the treatment response, and what our recommendations are. 
I would say our facility is fairly similar to that. We have different zones of our emergency department. We have a fast track area. We have a main emergency department. We have an observation area. So our referrals are, are dependent on what the needs are within each of those zones. But I would say sometimes they even know when an ambulance is coming in that we might need to be involved with that case. For example, a patient who might've fallen at home and the paramedics feel like it's not necessarily a safe environment for that person to return to. They, the charge nurse may know right away that we need to be involved with that patient. The other way that we get referrals within our emergency department are sometimes from outside consult services. So for example, if they consult orthopedics and the orthopedist or the neurologist comes down and they evaluate the patient, they may be more familiar with the services that physical therapy offers at that time. And they may say, I want the physical therapist to see this patient first before I'll admit that patient. So if the physical therapist can't solve this problem, then please call me again. But my money is on the physical therapist. So please consult them next and we'll get involved after they make their recommendations. Yeah, and us, us too, over the years, I mean, I'd say that, you know, since the JOSPT article where we wrote um, what the flow is in the department, even, you know, back in 2009 when that came out, um, we were seeing more and more patients that were checking in with, you know, typically it was usually easiest with a low back complaint and really nothing else that triage was recording in terms of vitals that would prevent us from, you know, approaching and, and seeing if, hey, can I get orders to go see that patient? And we'd actually see them prior to screening. I would say we will see patients now before they have been medically screened and they'll get their MSE after just to check that box and get the patient out the door. Um, very quickly in that instance. So, and that's been a process that our providers have really liked just because it, it, they don't even have to deal much with it. The patient's already better and they're ready to go home and they're not asking for, you know, they're not asking for opiates. They're not asking for imaging that they would typically come through the door because that's what they come in expecting to get. When patients are seeing a PT first in the emergency department, are you screening for red flags as a matter of routine? I wouldn't say what we're doing is screening. I would say we're filtering all of our patients through the differential diagnosis process. And that's just one aspect of what we do. If your question is more, are we doing more of that MTALA screening? Then no, I don't know of any facilities that are doing that at this time. I would agree with Rebecca's statement. The, um, as, as part of a normal clinical exam, we're going through a red flag screening um, just like you would in any practice. I think the difference in this setting is that you will see patients that actually present with red flags. So it maybe maybe on a higher um, level than you might in an outpatient practice. When people are coming into the emergency department, they, they do sometimes have red flag um, symptoms. So it is, uh, it is important that anybody that's in this practice is comfortable with that aspect of screening. It's always important to know what you don't know and refer on appropriately, but that's something that is, um, is part of standard practice. One thing I always tell my students is just because the patient has been screened by someone else and that we have orders on the patient doesn't mean there's no emergency and we still need to make sure that there is no emergency. So the emergency may not have passed, it may not have surfaced yet, it may still be evolving. So one thing that's important for all of us who practice in this setting is to remember that there could be an emergency at any time and just be prepared for that. I've had more, um, I don't know what the right word is, more like 
heart pumping experiences in the emergency department than I've ever had in the intensive care unit because everything in the intensive care unit is so well titrated and anticipated and planned for, whereas patients haven't necessarily declared themselves in the emergency department yet. So we're still clue finding and, and using those differential diagnosis skills, those red flag screening skills to help us help the team make the right plan and the right um, outcome for the patient. It, it definitely, when, you know, the joke has been on our department that um, why do we get such a different history from patients than, you know, they talk to three, pa three, you know, care providers before us. And all of a sudden we hear something totally different. And, and part of that is just having the ear for what they're telling you and putting together that story and not making assumptions that the individuals before you have that same information that may come to a different conclusion. Um, and a lot of times we're not necessarily um, looking to make, you know, a diagnosis in the ED, but more more just, you know, it, as one of our providers says, unpacking boxes. We're just trying to figure out, you know, what, what exactly is going on? Is there an emergent condition? And um, that is how most of the clinicians that I work with um, are looking at things. So they may hand off you know, something that, okay, maybe a need, a need arrangement of some sort, but, you know, we're not necessarily looking to, you know, making a, a definitive diagnosis that would require an MRI to complete that anyway, so. And I think the coolest part, though, is that we're part of a team that respects our clinical judgment and sees us as a consult service and not a technical service. We're not technicians filling orders. We are truly part of the part of the diagnostic team, part of the treatment team. And when we, when we say, I think this patient has something else going on, or I think this patient might need imaging, or the patient is telling me that they aren't taking their medications, like we're, we are well-respected and listened to. And I think that truly makes emergency physical therapy practice a team sport, which helps us really do what's right for the for for our patients and I have not really ever experienced that level of collaboration in any other practice setting. Thank you. Um, you know, one of the things I find interesting about emergency department physical therapy is the interprofessional aspect of it. Uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic, um, has, has that impacted the way uh, PTs practice in the ED and has it affected the perceptions of physical therapy by other providers? Well, I'll tackle the first part of that question. Um, it definitely had an impact. I don't know of many programs that it didn't have some impact for, and it probably ranged from, uh, we know of, of programs that were actually completely taken out of the ED during the pandemic. Um, uh, our program in Flagstaff uh, saw a, a significant reduction in uh, use of physical therapy in the emergency department, largely because the patients that typically uh, were kind of our, um, the patients that we saw the most, those, those sort of lower acuity patients, so they're not the patients coming in with, you know, in an active MI, they are the patients that are coming in with low back pain and um, orthopedic injuries and vestibular dysfunctions, and those people weren't coming in. They were staying home there. They were not, they were not utilizing the ED, and so we saw this really a significant reduction of lower acuity patients coming into the ED. So we we had a much lower volume for a while. Um, and Rebecca mentioned in uh, their facility how the ED is typically cordoned off in different uh, sections, including a fast track section. And what we saw in our facility was that the fast track section essentially went away. 
<laughs> they stopped staffing it as fast track because of the lack of lower acuity patients. And so even now, it's st we still in our program don't have uh, an actual fast track section yet. We are we're starting to see an increase probably over the last uh, several months. We've seen a, a you know a steady increase in those lower acuity patients, which is typically where we would see probably 60 to 70 percent of the patients we saw were in fast track. And now those patients are sort of spread out throughout the ED, which does not uh, preclude us from seeing them at all. But but the volume um, is still lower than it had been in the past. So we're um, we definitely have uh, slowly been progressively uh, seeing more and more of those lower acuity patients, but. But it definitely had a, a big impact, at least at least in our facility and in a lot of facilities that I for people that we talk to across the country. I think uh, for us initially, they pulled a lot of staff out of the emergency department for two reasons: one, to decrease our exposure to COVID nineteen, as we had so many patients coming through the emergency department with active infections, and also to decrease vector sources. So physical therapists. Uh, our hospital, when we don't have patients in the emergency department, we're deployed to any area of the hospital that might need us. So to have us be so highly exposed in the emergency department and then moving floor to floor, we just weren't sure if we were going to then become vectors ourselves. So we did sort of decrease a little bit how much time we were down there. We still went down when needed, but we didn't base out of the emergency department. And we redeployed and did whatever our hands were needed to do. And we too had, you know, the sort of the calm before the storm where, you know, there'd be maybe six, maybe five patients in the entire department um, where they were, you know, laying off some of the advanced practice and furloughing some of those folks and physicians were also even getting furloughed during that time. And then once things picked up, you know, definitely our business basically became more like, you know, since we were holding over a lot of ICU patients, it became more of a critical care zone and trying to get patients, you know, anybody who could potentially go home, getting them home, that's more or less what the ED turned into for many months for us. Um, we're now back to pretty much pre-pandemic levels of um, cases and seeing a lot more um, overdoses than we typically had and more violent related issues than we did before, um, which also is, um, Unfortunately, but you know, not surprising for our area of you know the city and our location in the country. Staying on the topic of COVID-19, telehealth has been in greater use even by emergency departments. What do you think will be the effect of telehealth on emergency care? Well, I don't really want to spoil it, but there's actually going to be a presentation on C at CSM this next year on this topic on emergency department physical therapy and maybe the use of digital triage to help reduce some of unnecessary emergency department visits by the use of necessary physical therapy visits, maybe through telehealth. So I think it'll be interesting to see. I know our emergency department did a lot of remote monitoring of patients during the pandemic, sending patients home with remote pulse ox monitoring, remote vitals monitoring and telehealth follow-up. And I think there are ways that we could partner with our outpatient clinics to provide some urgent care, some emergent triage digitally. So we'll be discussing that at CSM. Very nice. Um, I would say for us, um, just again, speaking to the, to the demographics of the area that we're in, um, and it's just even us historically, many of the patients that we see in the emergency department 
um, have never encountered a PT before. And that can be even cases of you know, chronic low back pain where the, it seems like the normative process before implementing us is to send patients directly to pain clinic or you know, off to the surgeon. Um, and they just stick with them until, you know, all of a sudden they come and see us and, you know, never seen a PT despite having problems for years and years. Um, and also the, the lack of insurance um, also prevents people from avoiding um, going to see somebody else first. And I think that that also for us would preclude using telehealth because patients also in our areas don't have, you know, they can barely have enough food or have enough money to put food on the table, let alone have access to a computer and even have the healthcare literacy to be able to plug into having a, a telehealth visit. But I think that the aftermath, you know, seeing patients, especially during time of COVID, who are afraid to come into the hospital, needed more close follow-up care, having telehealth available and being able to talk about that with the patient, with their family, that they're going to get close follow-up quickly, um, that definitely was an advantage and um, just educating them on that process did make it easier and kept them away. So, and just to throw in a little statistic, um, I know that in 2012, Fritz et al. had published um, just the number of patients that they looked at in, in a, a study published in Spine, 32,000 patients and only seeing um, patients with primary care patients with low back pain, um, only 7% of those with new onset of back pain were referred to PT. So I would say that that is definitely reflective in the emergency department that so few are, are getting access to us. So would know that there's a telehealth option. Switching gears for a moment, Carlene, I'm curious from a philosophical perspective, why is there discussion around terminology with regard to emergency department versus emergency care? So, you know, this kind of evolved, you know, several years ago, um, looking at doing, doing continuing edu education courses and digging into more of the history of emergency medicine itself. Um, that within physicians, when they started in the you know, late 60s and early 70s, um, there was a discussion of what do we call ourselves since it was, you know, that was a new practice at the time. Um, and, you know, the decision back then was that they were, you know, emergency physicians. Um, and years later, um, that, that continued with, you know, nursing. And you can see this also reflected in, you know, what their organizations are called. Um, the Emergency Nurses um, Association, you know, Emergency Nurse Practitioners, um, Emergency Medicine is what the practice is called. So really what they distinctively decided back then was to take out department from or room from their name because that may change over time. And for us, you know, at the time I was thinking about this, you know, that happened. Our hospital actually changed from emergency department um, to emergency center. And the thought was, is, you know, it, it's a lot more expensive to change names later and, you know, to remarket everything that, you know, the discussion started on what if we just became emergency physical therapists so that it defines our practice and not necessarily, you know, the location where we're at. Um, and the sooner we did that too, that would also allow in, in publication to gather um, that information more specifically. So that's sort of where the, the change started. And, and the other aspect of that is that it, it embraces all of the various aspects of our practice. Um, so 
those who are practicing in um, wilderness or in um, disaster, you know, just like within emergency medicine, they are all under that super umbrella of emergency medicine and those are subspecialties. So this would allow us to kind of gather resources um, if we're called emergency medicine and not distinctively out of the department. I think for me, an easy way to understand it too is if you practice in an outpatient clinic, we don't call you in necessarily an outpatient PT. We don't call you a hospital PT. We call you an orthopedic specialist or we call you an acute care specialist. Um, so we, we, we don't refer to people by the place where they work. I would say maybe school-based physical therapy is an exception to that, but emergency care is the type of care that we provide, not the place where we provide it. I'm curious, how do training and practice compare between, say, someone who is board certified in sports physical therapy and trained as a first responder as part of that, and for an ED physical therapist? Um, the question is a little challenging for me to answer, mainly because I'm not board certified in sports, so I can't necessarily speak to, you know, um, the, the full scope of that, but I would say... Um, in terms of orthopedic and neurologic preparedness and, and you know, really looking, you know, having attended um, sessions, you know, from the sports section over the years, um, there may be, you know, argument that it's a little bit healthier population, but what they are probably going to have a great advantage of is being able to triage and recognizing level of care and transport and using different devices that, um, or, and care strategies that somebody in an emergent condition um, would be able to, to have some knowledge of um, in that screening process and being able to know when they can take over a patient versus you know, needing a higher, higher level of care. Um, and I'd say the same could also be said for somebody who's an emergency responder. So an EMT or, or a PT who's also had a paramedics background, um, they have an advantage of understanding the whole process of emergency medicine because that that takes a while just to really get get an understanding of the flow and and really where you fit in and and individuals with those backgrounds um, come to you know come on the ground running with that understanding. I was just going to say I, I I would agree with uh, Carlene's statements and I I think that uh, just like with sports. Um, specialization, uh, people that have neurologic specialization or vestibular specialization, um, as well as wound care specialization are gonna, are gonna be able to possibly better treat a subsection of patients that we see in the emergency department. Um, but I would say for an emergency department physical therapist to have a base of knowledge in all of those things is probably makes you a, a, a more well-rounded physical therapist to be able to treat the, the patient population that we see down there because we see a little bit of everything. Michelle, I actually took the same course as the sports physical therapists who do that emergency medical responder course. So I, I am trained at that level that they are as well. And I would say for me, the biggest difference here is that they are truly first responders on the sidelines and in those types of events, whereas we are first receivers. So in the disaster literature and the way that emergencies are responded to, they would be considered first responders in their area of emergency physical therapist practice. I do consider them to be emergency physical therapist practitioners. And we would be the first receivers, the ones that are taking those patients as they come into the emergency care setting. So for me, that's the difference between 
um, those providers and what we do within the emergency department, but they all fall under the umbrella of emergency physical therapist care. Thank you for explaining that distinction. Rebecca, obviously the emergency department is an unpredictable environment. What are some necessary qualities an ED physical therapist should have? Flexibility, creativity, and strong communication skills. I also think differential diagnosis, you need to really be a top of scope for that. I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I think differential diagnosis, um, resourcefulness, being able to um, uh, think on your feet and uh, the flexibility um, to be able to float to different areas as, as productivity demands um, and confidence, uh, the ability to speak to other providers. It's, it's one of the most unique environments, I think, because you are really collaborative with the physicians and the nurses and the um, this, the specialists that come down, it's a very collaborative environment. People are looking to us for diagnostic uh, confirmation and uh, input. So I think, I think the uh, differential diagnosis is probably one of the key elements. Um, for me, you know, I agree with all of the above. Um, and I would say, you know, with confidence, not necessarily being overconfident, just having, you know, had some experiences with individuals as far as that goes. Um, and having early closure on certain cases that things got missed. Um, and being that really true lifelong learner, like we heard about in school you know, repeatedly, um, just like my husband would comment, I think you studied more out of school and um, in practice. And I still do to this day, things always continue to surprise me. So anybody who is really wanting um, a position that will, you know, Days in, they can check out and not read up on something that, you know, maybe they had some questions about. This is maybe not the practice, but people who enjoy those kind of things, which I think that that suits a lot of PTs, um, that this is a good area. And the other aspect is, you know, again, with flexibility um, that don't plan on getting work, normal work hours. And in terms of getting home on time, that's um, a common thing within all of people who work in emergency care. You're, you're done when you're done, but um, that may not be at the time that you were set to get out the door. It's not like a scheduled practice. That segues nicely into my next question. Um, Lisa, why would you encourage uh, PTs to consider the emergency uh, department or just emergency care in general as a practice area? Oh, um, it's, it's one of the most challenging, exciting learning environments of any place I've, I've, any practice I've ever participated in in my 32 years. I, I think it's, I learn something every single day um, from the people that I work with and the patients that, that we see. Um, it's, it's an opportunity to collaborate with other professionals on a level that you just don't see anywhere else, not in the acute care setting, not in the outpatient setting. Um, uh, it's, a really, it's a really exciting environment. And it's, it's one that I think has such potential for even further growth um, uh, in years to come. I'd say it, it's a meaningful job. I mean, it, it, I get value from um, being able to help as a team and interacting with families, you know, right when there is something evolving that everyone's very concerned about and, and um, um, just also learning from the other people that I'm working with on, on nearly a daily basis too. Um, and them 
also feeling the same that they're learning something from us from you know nursing from techs etc on how to do something a little bit differently how to get somebody out of bed i mean and we also have a lot of turnover in the ed of staff so you kind of always get that renewed surprise oh i never would have thought of that so you're educating you know other people who are also going out and helping other individuals even not at your institution after you've worked with them I think for me, there are so many things that I love about it, but to be honest, the thing that has impacted me the most is really interacting with and seeing those people who've been marginalized by our healthcare system and society at large. I mean, emergency departments are a safety net. So we see everybody who we wouldn't be able to see in other settings because physical therapy truly is a luxury for so many people but we have our patients who are experiencing homelessness, our, parent, our patients who have no health insurance, our patients who have lost trust in the healthcare system and have had conditions go undiagnosed or missed for so long. We have our elderly patients who have been isolated and abandoned and unable to care for themselves. And for me, it's those patients that bring my job the most meaning. How can I impact them the most with the resources that I have and the amount of time that I have to make an impact. But it's truly where you can see where as, as a healthcare system at large, we're, we're failing people. So many people with diseases that are preventable or out of control because they don't have the education or the resources to truly manage them appropriately. So for me, it's that piece that I find to be the most impactful is the little, little places where you're transforming society, but the people who are on the edges that we need to bring a little bit closer to the middle. That's a fascinating point. Um, before we go, um, do you have any suggested resources you'd refer people to who are interested in exploring the emergency department as a career path? But we are now on our second revision of the toolkit um, in which um, that, that will be coming out soon. Um, we also have a Facebook group that is, um, it's closed you know, to individuals just so we don't get spamming, but um, so that is, that is sort of filtered, but that's also been a great resource and we currently have 1300 members on there. There are a number of disaster resource or disaster training resources for physical therapists that wish to pursue more that aspect of it um, that are available through FEMA as one place, as well as the American Red Cross. So those are a few places to start. Also, if you do work within a hospital setting, joining your hospital emergency response team is a good way to get involved in some more of the larger emergency care settings. We also have a lot of emergency physical therapists who are on Twitter, so you can follow the uh, EPT hashtag to get involved and engage in discussion that way. And then Carlene and her amazing emergency physical therapy conference usually occurs in October. So I would hope that we're gonna be doing that this year and keeping your eye out for that. And then finally, um, our emergency physical therapist work group has sort of formed a structure recently. And so I'm hoping that you'll be seeing more outreach. I'm gonna be that outreach contact to help promote what we do. So if you'd like to reach out to me directly too, I'd love to hear from people who are interested. The other thing is if you do practice in the emergency department, reach out to your local PTA and PT program so that you can spread the word about what we do. I think if we don't share this with our students, it's, it's not gonna be something that continues to evolve and move forward. 
that was actually the uh, what I was going to speak on as well. Rebecca was just engaging the physical therapy programs in, in all the different states to to kind of increase awareness and education about that possibility and to talk uh, to anyone who is in the process of who accepts students um, to kind of promote this promote this practice uh, among the student population. And I would agree with Rebecca, I'd also be willing to field any uh, questions or um, be able to share information with anybody who's interested in this practice. Thank you so much. This was a fascinating discussion. And I just wanna thank you all again for taking the time to share your insights and expertise. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Yes, thank you for the great opportunity. To learn more about physical therapy in the emergency department, read APTA Magazine's July feature article, The PT in the Emergency Department, A Call to Crisis Care. Visit APTA.org to find more resources on APTA's physical therapy in the emergency department webpage and to read the House of Delegates position statement. Also keep an eye out for the revised emergency department toolkit coming soon. For more APTA podcasts like this one, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or visit apta.org slash podcasts. I'm Michelle Vanderhoff. Thanks for listening.